David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning. It's 10.08 a.m., February the 7th, 2019, and this is episode 60 of Bitcoin And. And yeah, we're going to get into, uh, we'll do vitals, uh, morning roundup. We'll talk about Quadriga, Wells Fargo, Abra, uh, get some stuff going there. I'm um, going to follow the torch. Uh, I'm going to call it the segment Torchlight for now. And we'll do Marty's Bent, Daily Train Wrecked, and Terrible Joke Corner. And hopefully all of that will fit into an hour. All right, so first up, uh, let's get into the Quadriga CX ongoing shitball saga. Oh, God. Okay, Um, so Ray Redacted at Ray Redacted tweeted out, Pro tip, if you are going to buy a death certificate in order to fake your own death and exit scam $130 million US from your Canadian crypto exchange, always remember to run spell check on your own name. And uh, Ray seems to have gotten a hold of the uh, official death certificate from India, where this man has apparently died, the good Gerald William Cotton. And they misspelled his last name on the death certificate. Instead of uh, C-O-T-T-E-N, it's uh, C-O-T-T-A-N. And somebody pointed out to Ray that this is, um, oh, this happens on, uh, uh, you know, government forms and whatnot, names are misspelled. And, and this is true. And I like Ray's response to, uh, uh, to that revelation where he says, agreed by itself. It means nothing. The cold storage wallets, the Litecoins being drained, the lack of multi-sig, the wife's anecdotes, the weird death certificate, the COO pseudonym, the cleaned out email accounts, the lack of cold storage on ETH. It's just like, wow, man, when you add all this crap up together, uh, (laughs) yeah, it's, uh, this looks every bit like an exit scam and it gets even, even weirder. So let me get into, um, let's kind of go through this thing with an article from Coindesk. Um, the collapse of Quadriga CX, what we know and what we don't. And this was written by Nicholas Day and Anna Betakova for Coindesk.com. And it was done yesterday. Uh, yeah, yeah, yesterday, February the 6th. So uh, let's just go ahead and get through this. Quadriga CX, the Canadian cryptocurrency exchange, made headlines the world over last week. When it announced it was filing for creditor protection and owed upwards of $130 million U.S. or more to its customers. 
The long-suffering exchange has had banking issues for more than a year, and customers complain they cannot easily withdraw fiat or crypto over the past several months. Fears that the exchange may be insolvent or running a scam were exacerbated by an announcement from its, found, from its founder and CEO, Gerald Cotton, died of Crohn's disease while in India. After weeks of poor communication and several days of the website going offline entirely, the exchange announced it was filing for a stay of proceedings in an attempt to head off any customer lawsuits while it tries to recoup its funds and figure out its next steps. The situation as a whole carried echoes of the Mt. Gox scandal, both in terms of the degree of global interest. Many mainstream news outlets and publications have run stories centered primarily around the stated inability to access customer funds following Cotton's death and the scale of future uncertainty. As Coindesk reported on Tuesday, the legal picture surrounding the exchange is beginning to solidify. A Nova Scotia Supreme Court judge granted the exchange its application, giving it a 30-day stay of proceedings to try and recover any cryptocurrencies as well as find other avenues for reimbursing customers. Yet, many questions swirl around the proceedings, further fed by the theories propagated by Quadriga CX customers, observers, and critics. Below, we explore explore some of the biggest questions as they currently exist. What we know. Quadriga owes a lot of money. Quadriga CX says it owes roughly 115,000 people, some 190 million Canadian in both fiat and crypto. These 115,000 customers are part of a larger group of nearly 300,000 individual accounts created, though it appears that the remainder doesn't currently store any funds on the exchange. In a court filing last week, Cotton's widow and the executor of his estate, Jennifer Robertson, claimed that neither she nor anyone else on the Quadriga CX team knew how to access the exchange's crypto reserves. My God, people. Or indeed... Where they might even be located, the exchange holds roughly 26,500 Bitcoin, valued at $92 million U.S., 11,000 Bitcoin Cash, or 1.3 million U.S., 11,000 Bitcoin Cash SV, 707,000, 35,000 Bitcoin Gold at uh, $352,000, Nearly 200,000 Litecoin and about 430,000 Ether, totaling 147 million U.S., according to the affidavit. Cotton reportedly conducted all of his business operations out of an encrypted laptop. Oh, okay. I'm going to have to stop a little bit, right, and, and, and collect my thoughts. Wow. Whoop-de-doo. Man, that's... That is, I don't know what that is. Okay, back to it. Uh, Operations out of an encrypted laptop, which Robertson has been unable to gain access to. While a consultant has been hired to try and break into the laptop. I'm sorry, guys. A laptop laptop is is the central point of failure for $147 million. I, I can't, I cannot. I can't wrap my head around that. I just, I just can't. I, I'm again, sorry, but reading through this is, is very difficult because of the amount of stupidity that's here. Okay. Let's try again. 
While a consultant has been hired to try and break into the laptop, this expert has so far been unsuccessful. While the timing of the move hasn't been confirmed, the laptop will ultimately be given to professional services firm Ernst & Young, which is appointed was appointed monitor by the court. Compounding the exchange's problems is the fact that much of its fiat reserves are tied up after a well-documented legal fight with the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. There is no timeline yet for when those funds might be restored. Here's a tip. They won't. That's me. <clears throat> All told, the exchange estimates that it owes customers about $53 million in fiat, and $137 million in crypto in U.S. dollars. Not all of Quadriga's funds are in crypto. According to its court filings, about $70 million CAD of the funds are held by payment processors in fiat. Of that, about $30 million CAD is held by payment processors, uh, BillerFi, in the form of bank drafts. <clears throat> BillerFi has explained in the past that it was having difficulty finding banking partners to endorse these drafts, preventing it from releasing the funds back to the exchange. During the discussion in court Tuesday, Quadriga attorney Maurice Chasen, a partner with law firm Stuart McLevy, asked whether Ernst & Young, the monitor appointed, might be able to assist in finding a, bank, finding a banking partner to endorse the drafts. It is unclear whether this is a possibility, and Ernst & Young declined to comment when reached. In an email, Biller Fi Managing Director and Owner Jose Reyes told Coindesk he had not yet heard from EY and was sure and was not sure what the next steps would be now that the company has been appointed a, as monitor. He added in a later email that he has not had any luck finding banking partners to endorse the drafts yet. Lawyers for Quadriga also control a further $5 million held in several New Brunswick Canadian-based companies. However, these funds may be used to organize bankruptcy proceedings and other administrative tasks, Chasen explained. Quadriga has 30 days under the existing order. Tuesday's stay grants Quadriga 30 days to try and recover its missing cryptocurrency reserves, as well as unlock its fiat holdings and look for other assets that can generate revenue. In an early filing, Ernst & Young indicated that the exchange could sell its trading platform as one such revenue generator. Bye. An initial report will be due on March 1, and another hearing will be held at the end of the 30-day period to determine what progress Quadriga is making. Yeah, good luck. It's possible that the exchange will file for an extension to the stay during that hearing, though Chasen said in court Tuesday that, quote, it is our hope that as and when significant events develop, such as if we find a significant store of coins, we would immediately begin distribution, end quote. There will be a separate hearing to determine which law firm will be appointed as representative counsel on February the 14th, though no lawsuit can be filed while the stay is in effect. A request for clarification to Bennett Jones LLP, one law firm vying to be appointed, was not returned by press time. What we don't know. Still numerous questions surround the entire situation, including whether the exchange ever had the funds it claims are currently locked up in cold storage. One of the most concerning claims in Tuesday's affidavit was that the team is currently unable to access cold wallets holding Quadriga's reserves. However, prominent voices in the crypto community are casting doubt on this assertion. 
Mr. Crypto's founder and CEO, Taylor Monahan, told Coindesk that she would be very surprised to learn of a cold storage Ether address based on how the exchange managed its holdings with three primary wallets. Quote, Almost all of the largest transactions are either sent to exchanges or amongst three primary addresses. I haven't seen anything indicating a large reserve or cold storage mechanism being used on the Ethereum chain, she explained. (coughs) That does not mean the exchange has no cold wallets at all, but while it is possible, Monaghan explained that she would find it improbable based on the exchange's past practices. The difference in what the blockchain data appears to be saying about Quadriga's holdings and what the exchange claims have led to further questions about the existence of the funds at all, (laughs) sparking allegations of fraud on on the part of the exchange and its operators. In 2015, Cotton said the exchange used multi signature wallets as a security precaution. Multi sig wallets typically see multiple parties re- maintaining control of a part of the wallet's private key. In such a scenario, two or more of the parties would have to sign a transaction before it can be approved. However, no other Quadriga employees appear to have announced themselves as able to sign off on transactions. In other words, The question remains whether there was a multi-sig wallet where Cotton single-handedly managed all of the signatures or if the security precaution was not actually taken. As stated, Quadriga now has 30 days of breathing room to try and find its missing coins as well as unfreeze its fiat holdings. What is less clear is how the exchange might proceed. An email account set up by Ernst & Young Canada to accept messages from Quadriga creditors was not functional as of press time. While Quadriga has released a new statement on its website, specifics were not included. Instead, the website statement stated or noted that, quote, we are in the early stages of a long process, end quote, and that the work was ongoing. Quote, what we can tell you is that the CCAA process will allow Quadriga CX to keep all options open to attempt to maximize the funds available for the company's stakeholders. We will provide further updates to the extent possible, the statement reads. Despite two separate documents stating that Cotton died on December the 9th, 2018 in Jaipur, the capital city of the Indian state of Rajasthan, Online conspiracy theories continue to claim that he faked his death in order to pull an exit scam. J.A. Snow Funeral Home, which issued a statement of death on December the 12th, refused to confirm or deny that it actually issued the document. Calls to the Nova Scotia Department of Vital Statistics, which tracks life events, including deaths, were not returned by press time. Separately, the government of Rajasthan's Directorate of Economics and Statistics produced a produced a death certificate for Cotton on December the 13th, which Coindesk obtained and published Tuesday. No cause of death was listed, and further inquiries were not returned. Angel House, an organization which builds orphanages in India and has been affiliated with Cotton in the past, did not pick up when called. Okay, so that's that's going to do it for that, uh, that article. Um, well, it would be, you know... At this point, it's kind of, you know, we should probably note that when people fake their death, um, it's better if they do it in a way that there's not a body. 
if there's a body um, and that body is of Mr. Cotton and that body is shown, then, and it would have to be shown as being dead on a slab several times before anybody would actually believe that this is not a fake your own death to exit scam $130 million. Um, then, you know, if, if those pictures were to arise, then I think we could put it to bed. So we'll, I think that's what we should be looking for at this point is whether or not there are photographs and as morbid as it is. And and I understand that, but you know, if, if pictures of cotton's dead body come up and we know it's cotton, um, then, then he's dead. Other than that, if, if, if pictures of cotton's body do not surface, if it's a closed casket funeral, um, and things such as that, then there's no way to put to bed. And it's not conspiracy theory. Um, this is, this is, could possibly happen. It's not like this has never happened before. Um, so calling it a conspiracy theory, I think is, uh, I don't know, a little trite, uh, he very well could have done this. We just don't know. And we won't know until we see a dead body again. Sorry for being morbid and all, but how, you know, how else are you going to do that? Uh, moving on up the stack, we have, uh, Wells Fargo. (laughs) If you haven't heard Wells Fargo's, uh, system went, uh, banking system, uh, kind of went offline. Now, how, to what extent, to the extent customers are apparently unable to do mobile or online banking. And that's what Wells Fargo was saying. But uh, a Pompliano, uh, a Pomp- at a Pompliano or Pomp on Twitter says, Wells Fargo system is shut down right now. Bitcoin never shuts down. While this is true, he includes a picture of what seems to be uh, a phone conversation with somebody I don't know if he knows it. Somehow or another, Pomp got a hold of this thing. And it looks like a not a phone conversation, but a, a text messaging conversation. And it says, Wells Fargo is currently experiencing server problems. No one can access online banking to check accounts. ATMs are not displaying balances. And bankers cannot make changes on anyone's accounts. Tellers are also limited on capabilities. I'm a banker here, no FUD. And manager has stated it's nationwide. Love having firsthand experience with the inefficiencies in banking. Man, no kidding. So I, I it's clearly much more than just customers being affected. I mean, when you when you're working at the bank and you can't even do your own stuff, man, dude, that's probably probably not good. And outside of the tweet, it is. I went ahead and confirmed this um, from. Uh, wavy.com and it's w-a-v-y so radio tv kind of thing and it is a uh was posted this morning at about looks like 9 30 uh eastern standard time and it says is written by kevin green and says wells fargo customers experiencing issues with mobile online banking portsmouth virginia Wells Fargo customers may be unable to use mobile and online banking due to a systems issue, bank officials say. A Wells Fargo spokesperson said some customers have been unable to log in due to the issue. 
A message about the issue was posted to the Wells Fargo Facebook page Thursday morning. Quote, our branch and contact center team members are able to assist customers while we resolve this issue as quickly as possible. We apologize for any inconvenience. End quote. It's unclear at this time what may have caused the outage. Stay with wavy.com for updates. Okay, so it's confirmed. Wells Fargo is having all manner of, of problems. Uh, short the bankers, long Bitcoin, <clears throat> not investment advice. Um, so um, I actually got a, a, a tech or a, a tweet from Cy- uh, at Cypherpony who says, because I had tweeted out, um, confirmed by Bitcoin. And it was that wavy.com article that I just read you. So he, uh, Cypher Pony writes back and says, so for the first time in six to eight months, I walked into my Wells Fargo, eight to 12 employees standing around, staring at a screen like deer in headlights, three to four customers complaining they can't, can't take out their money. While I was at the teller, I told her I was going to tweet this to Bitcoin Twitter. (laughs) It's awesome, dude. Um, I could go ahead and retweet that one right now because it's like, you know, cool, (laughs) right? So, uh, yeah, that's that's going out. Okay, last last bit up in the stack for the morning roundup is going to be the Abra Global news is uh, Abra Global is uh, poking Bitcoin. So we'll see what the uh, Bitcoinist.com has to say about it. Abra's non-custodial Bitcoin-backed global investment app is a world first, and this is by Christina Combin as of yesterday. One of the greatest complaints that people have when it comes to cryptocurrency is usability. Well, San Francisco-based Abra just made cryptos more accessible with their global investment app. The investment app lets anyone invest in traditional stocks and ETFs, as well as over 30 cryptocurrencies straight from their smartphones. It also provides non-custodial accounts with funds secured on the Bitcoin blockchain. There are quite a few cool things about the Abra app that make it an interesting prospect. In a world with unequal wealth distribution and restricted access to investment opportunities, Abra makes investing possible to almost all. To start with, rather than having a high entry fee, investors can start with as little as five bucks. Nice. This is, <clears throat> this is to make investing in stocks and bonds more affordable. It also means that not only can investors own a fraction of a Bitcoin or Ether, but they can now own a fraction of a stock and high-priced ETF as well. Some of the options on offer in the initial rollout are popular tech stocks like Google, Amazon, and Netflix. They are also commodities like the Spider Gold Trust. Abra CEO Bill Barhart, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this name. Bill Barheit. Okay, we'll we'll do that. Aubrey CEO Bill Barheit said, investing in stocks can be a daunting, complex, and decidedly exclusionary activity. We are building Bitcoin-backed investing products because for the first time we can truly democratize access to investment opportunities at a global scale. Even more interesting for Bitcoin fans is the fact that the Abra app is non-custodial. The funds are stored on the Bitcoin blockchain and the app uses smart contracts as the underlying technology for user investments. This means that Abra users will never have to trust the company with their money or worry about losing their funds to hackers. Their transactions are also more private as they are not held in a centralized database. 
The Abra app is already available for download on Google Play and the Apple Store. Users can create an account inside their phone and link it to their bank account or send payments with cryptocurrencies. They can send payment through bank transfers, credit cards, and cryptocurrencies to access any asset in the app and also exchange all major fiat currencies for multiple cryptos and send instant transfers to other Abra users. When you couple rising smartphone penetration around the world with a technology that allows almost anyone to gain a foothold in previously off-limit investments, Abra's proposal is definitely worthy. It's also a world first, attracting investment from the likes of American Express Ventures, Foxconn Technology, and First Round Capital. So there it is. Um, one thing that I want to say about this before, uh, before I forget it is the fact that you can send payments through bank transfers and credit cards and cryptocurrencies. Yeah, credit cards, guys, don't get into that. Don't, don't start buying stock with credit cards. If you don't have the money, like you, you're not in possession of the money, don't finance. For God's sakes, don't finance your investment opportunities. That's a bad, that's a bad thing. I remember one day I was at a bar and I, I, this was years ago before I had any kind of, you know, I was was like still in college and didn't know my ass from a hole in the ground. And some dude was like going, well, I don't have any more money for beer. And I go, well, why don't you just use your card? And he's like, I'm not going to finance a beer. And man, I mean that, I think it was that moment. It was actually that moment when I was like, oh my God, yeah, you're right. So bringing it all the way back to today, don't buy Apple stock and finance it. That's not, that doesn't work. Okay. So I wish the Aubrey people would had said, would have said not credit cards, but said something like, yeah, you can tie in your debit card. And that's one of the things that I liked about, liked about Jack Dorsey's decision not to allow people to use credit cards on the cash app. Um, that was, that's a good move. Um, I, you know, I guess anybody should be able to do anything that they want, but man, allowing people to finance a stock buy is probably not the best way to help your fellow man. Just saying, right. Okay. Um, last about the Abra thing that I want to talk about is a tweet from FinTech Frank or Frank Shaparo. And, um, He has a tweet that says they have created something that is both exceedingly complex from a legal standpoint, but also creates a really impressive number of market and credit risks for the underlying customer. That is somewhat amazing. And that's a quote that he says is from a legal source on Abra's new stock investing platform. Um, Yeah, so it's some lawyer somewhere is talking about the, the, the Abra platform and the fact that it is, uh, <laughs> it's risky in both ways. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. It's, it's, this person seems to think that it's extraordinarily complex, but what's, you know, what's clearly known as the credit risks for the underlying customer. And that's just me talking about allowing somebody to be able to, to finance Apple stock. Yeah, that's, that's a risk. And there's a lot more to it, I'm sure. But that's going to do it for your morning roundup. The Vital Statistics statistics Today is brought to you by BitInfoCharts.com. 
This is where I get most of, mo- actually, all of the uh, uh, the vital statistics information. Uh, if you haven't seen bitinfocharts.com, you should stop by. Um, you can select which ones you want to actually, which cryptocurrencies you actually want to see, and they give quite a bit of information about all of them. It looks like they used to give a lot more. I. Th- from yeah, it looks like they used to give a lot more, and they've pared it down, which makes it a little bit easier to read. But as you can tell, Bitcoin's price has dropped, right? Okay, so uh, starting with Bitcoin, the average is three thousand three hundred ninety dollars. It looks like the high is going to be sitting out over at um, Bitfinex at three thousand four hundred and fifty. And it looks like the low is going to be at GDAX at 3,364. Yep, 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 GDAX has the low. (coughs) The transactions over the last 24 hours are 353,000, giving almost 15,000 transactions per hour. Uh, 2,000 or 2.7 million BTC has been sent in the last 24 hours, which with the average of 115,000 BTC being sent per hour. Average transaction value is 7.8 BTC, and the median transaction value is 0.029 BTC, or right around 100 bucks bucks US. Block time is extraordinarily low at 8 minutes and 31 seconds. That's because we gained almost 12% hash rate in the last 24 hours, bringing us up to 48.7 exahashes per second. Uh, The reward per block, uh, as far as fees are concerned, looks like it's going to be about 0.12 BTC. The reward for the last 24 hours in fees has been 20 BTC. Um, That's, God, that's all. Man, that's a lot. <laughs> um, and the last GitHub commit was sometime this morning, February the 7th. My God, these guys are going fast. Okay, so Ethereum, uh, 104. Bcash is 114. Litecoin is $33. BSV is 62.93. Ethereum Classic is 3.8 or uh, $3.84. And Dogecoin is 0.0018 USD. And Dogecoin by itself has more transactions. Actually, yeah, it has double the amount of transactions over the last 24 hours than both B, uh, Bcash and BSV combined. No one's using it again, people. This is yet another day where there's just... Nobody using the shit forks from Bitcoin. And that's going to do it for your vital statistics. Okay, as promised, I'm going to follow up a little bit more about the LN Trust Chain, otherwise known as the Torch. So we're going to be calling this uh, segment Torchlight where we look at what's going on with the torch uh, in the past. And uh, hopefully by the time that uh, I get caught up with where the torch is, that will uh, be the end of the story. That'll probably take days because the history of uh, the torch is pretty rich already. And remember the thing only started on January the 19th. That's when Hodel not uh, kicked it, 
started kicking the can uh, around the world. So the first thing that I want to do is look at the hashtag, uh, which ends up being important, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but the hashtag of LN Trust Chain, uh, the statistics for it, uh, I ran uh, on tweet reach, uh, ran, uh, asked for a snapshot on hashtag LN Trust Chain, and it looks like uh, here's the estimated reach is 145,000 accounts have been reached with, uh, at one point or another hashtag LN trust chain has run across 145,000 Twitter accounts. It has so far made 215,000 impressions. That's a lot. That's a, quite a bit of exposure, man. <laughs> that's a lot of exposure. Um, Let's see, there's 82 contributors, like for activity, there's, yeah, 82 contributors. Um, top contributors are uh, Pierre Richard, um, like some of the uh, most retweeted tweets is definitely, uh, looks like people are trying to really get Elon Musk to taste, take that torch. Um, clearly, the uh, tweet by uh, the most retweeted uh, is definitely the at Jack where he says, cool example of Bitcoin Twitter experimenting on the lightning network torch received now passing it along to, and, uh, I think it, I think it actually went to starkness, uh, at starkness or Elizabeth Stark from the, uh, lightning, I think it's lightning labs is where, where she's at. Um, so yeah, the, uh, LN trust chain hashtag is getting lots and lots and lots of play. All right. So Getting into um, kind of the history, I was uh, scrolling through a, a filtered, um, doing a Twitter filter for everything from Hodelnot and anything men mentioning the uh, hashtag LN Trust Chain, just to start digging back, claw, you know, clawing back through history to see where this thing, how this thing's been passed along and what's going on. And one of the very first things that I noticed is the amount of tweets that Hodelnot either either tweeting directly or replying to somebody, the amount of tweets about him saying you use the hashtag LN the LN trust chain hashtag because and and the theme that's going on in all these tweets is that lots of people are are were complaining it's really hard to follow uh, the thread, the Twitter threads, uh, when they're trying to find out where the torch is, because the threads are so massive that no, it's like, Oh my God, if you want to dig through the, you know, each individual, one of these things, it would take you days to figure this shit out. So hold knots like, no, you've got to use, you have to use the hashtag. If you don't use the hashtag, you're going to be lost in a sea of a bunch of people tweeting invoices and all kinds of stuff about, where about where the torch is. So I, I actually found that uh, really telling about just how much fire this thing has, has uh, caught. Um, it's, it's just amazing to watch. So um, on January the 25th, and this is going to be not even a week after uh, the torch was, uh, was first lit, I guess is, is how you'd say it. Because remember, it was like, what, 100,000 Satoshis? And by the 25th of January, it had gotten to 910,000 10, Satoshis. 
Um, Hodelnot has a tweet here on January 25th that says, and it's a reply to uh, Justin Filson, at Justin Filson, who asks, how do we go from 910,000 Satoshis to 2 million Satoshis? Just noticed that. Someone got excited. So Hodelnot writes back with the answer. It says, at Rockstar Dev blasted us from 910K to 2000k on hop 79 kind of fitting since that hop landed in a plane over the atlantic with jack mallers and gave the hashtag ln trust chain the mile high club badge that's awesome uh so yeah apparently rockstar dev just decided to add uh to add more than twice as much uh fuel to the torch um (laughs) on hop 79 so yeah, that's just, oh, man, that's just way too cool. Um, and there is, and it's, um, I'll try to get it into my curated Twitter timeline today. There's a, a, a while back, uh, one of the things that I ran across in the history of this thing was somebody did an animation showing the hops of the torch, um, going from, you know, UK to the United States and it could bounce back and then it finally bounced over to Australia and, back into, uh, you know, all over Europe and the European union. And yeah, it was, it, it's, it's pretty cool to watch. So I'll, I'll try to remember to, to, uh, get that tweet into my curated timeline. And if you're interested in what my curated timeline is, uh, go to the show notes. Um, and, um, there's, I, I, I have a link directly to the uh, curated timeline, which is what I use to organize the show. It's where everything that I talk about ends up, so if I talked about it in the show, there's a damn good chance that it's somewhere in my curated, uh, my curated timeline, which is called morning roundup. Um, anyway, yeah, so that, that, uh, that's there in the, in the show notes So go look at that so you can uh, see all this stuff. So the last thing that I want to say, cause I don't want to, I don't want to do like, oh, I don't want to go through the whole story of the torch and, and try to, you know, do the whole thing immediately because this is such a fun thing to follow. I want it to be part of the show for a little bit, uh, until, you know, we get all the way up to the, uh, to the tip of the chain. And the last thing that we'll talk about for today's, uh, torchlight is William Shatner. You know, it's coming, right? You know, it's coming. We were hoping it was going to be Elon Musk. But uh, Captain Kirk seems to be interested in the torch. And because he, he tweets out, uh, I understand this. And he's retweeting at Jack his, uh, uh, his uh, lightning invoice for uh, getting the torch. And as you can imagine, this thing has, I don't know, 1,300 likes, 165 retweets, 100 replies. I mean, everybody's like, you know, there's a lot of people that are really excited that that Captain Kirk, the, uh, the good William Shatner, is uh, clearly interested in the torch. And so chances are good that at one point or another, William Shatner very well may end up being one of the torch bearers. And that would be freaking cool because if the good captain uh, were to take the torch, then we would be way beyond the mile high club. Wouldn't that be cool? Um, 
So that, yeah, that's, let's see, make sure that I am. Yep. Okay. That's going to do, that is going to do it for today's uh, Torchlight. Today's Marty bit, Marty's Bent is for Thursday, February the 7th, to, uh, 2019, issue number 415, Supporting the Levels. And he's got some tweets here from uh, Hass McCook and a couple of replies uh, to that uh, tweet from Nick Carter. So let's get into this. Reminder, as at this tweet, there are still 850,000 more Bitcoin left to mine until the next halving comes around. It's a decent amount of coins. Any new peak before 2020 will need to absorb this level of inflation. That's almost $3 billion of net fiat inflow over the next 427 days. Doesn't actually seem like that much. Nick replies, if local Bitcoin's volume stays static, it will do about $3 billion in volume over that period. Should be able to absorb most of that naively assuming LB represents an outflow from sovereign currencies to Bitcoin. He goes further, closer to 4 billion actually. It did 15,000 BTC last week. Haas McCook replies, imagine if there were a million tithers, baby steps. So Marty's uh, bent on this is, while we tend to stay away from price talk around these parts, I thought today would be a good day to highlight this conversation between Hass McCook, the Australian Stallion, and Nick Carter, the data nerd we don't deserve. (laughs) Our boy Haas is putting out some great content on Bitcoin mining and price support. You freaks should definitely throw him a follow if you're on Twitter and looking to get some quality info about Bitcoin. As we can see from the above thread, there are about 850,000 BTC to be mined between now and the next halving, which should happen around Memorial Day weekend next year. After crunching the numbers, it looks like $3 billion in inflows is all we need to support the price given the amount of supply inflation we'll experience between now and then. Not much, not as much as I would have expected. And if Nick's calculations are correct, it seems like local Bitcoin's volume may be able to eat up a good portion of those necessary inflows if volume leveled off where it is today. Very promising if you ask me. As we pointed out in last week's Fundamentals Thursday, local Bitcoin volume in Venezuela and Russia has been picking up recently, signaling to me that the people and despots that need Bitcoin most are using it. Couple this with the resurgent hype around Bitcoin from the Western world over the prospects of the Lightning Network, and it seems like Bitcoin is garnering support from all angles, despite what some pundits would have you believe. With very strong inflow support from local Bitcoins and other exchanges, the only question that remains is who is going to produce the outflows necessary to take the price much lower, especially after an 85% decline from all-time highs. In my opinion, you'd have to be a fool to sell at these levels considering all of the bullish fundamentals that have coalesced over the last year. Though, as we should always note, markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent, especially if you don't have any conviction. Final thought, the smell of college lacrosse is in the air, and I, for one, could not be more jacked up. A true man's sport. You know, I kind of know that feeling, not about lacrosse, but about college football. Uh, When I was living in Lubbock, my house was exactly, I don't know, I'm going to say a good three blocks away from the practice field that uh, the Texas Tech University's going band from Raiderland used to practice. 
And about a week to, yeah, about a week before school would start um, in, uh, depending on when it started, either very late August or very early September, um, the band was already on station and already practicing. And you could hear the fight, you know, I could hear the fight song in my backyard and all the stuff that they played. And it's like I could smell fall in the air. And fall is my all-time, all-time favorite season, followed by spring, followed by winter, and then summer. And for you guys who are wondering why I don't like summer, you come down and live in Texas, West Texas especially, and see how much you like 104 degrees every single day for days and days and days. And that's why I'm not a big fan of summer. Although I am a big fan of growing stuff and that has to happen in the summer, but my God, walking out in the microwave every day after a while, it just gets, it gets monotonous in the same way that I'm certain that it gets monotonous for somebody living in Minnesota dealing with the fricking snow and cold. So I guess it depends on, I I guess it depends not on your attitude, but your latitude in either event, that's going to do it for Marty's bent. You can follow Marty bent at Marty bent on Twitter. The daily train wrecked is brought to you by Coinbase. Yep. That's right. Coinbase. Got a Coindesk.com article here from uh, Yogita Katra. Coinbase's wallet app is getting Bitcoin support this week. Oh, my God. It took Coinbase this long to get that which made their fortune into their wallet app. Really? It took Coinbase this long? Bitcoin made you, buddy. It built you. Every brick, every pipe, every communication line that you pay for, use, or put into your freaking building was bought by Bitcoin. This is this is insulting at this point, which is why I don't use Coinbase any longer for any kind of purchasing of Bitcoin. I, I've only been using the cash app. It's much better. It's much faster. And it doesn't have a CEO that is hell bent on screwing Bitcoin around every single time that he gets. So let's, uh, let's go on with this article and finish this stupidity out. The San Francisco-based cryptocurrency exchange announced the news in a blog post Wednesday saying that Coinbase wallet will be updated over the next week to add Bitcoin support to all its users on iOS and Android. Bitcoin support will be activated by default, Coinbase said, meaning users will just have to tap receive tab in the app and select Bitcoin to receive the cryptocurrency directly in the wallet. Coinbase Wallet already supports Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, uh, and over 100,000 different ERC-20 tokens and ERC-721 collectibles built on Ethereum, the exchange said, adding that it is also working. (laughs) Okay, guys, the the reason I'm stumbling here is that I'm having to edit this, uh, this writing on the fly. Um. 
let's see, adding that it is also working on to add support for Bitcoin Cash. Adding that it is also working on to add support for Bitcoin Cash. Okay, Coindesk, you're gonna need to do more editing. I'm sorry, buddy. But I mean, you're not like me. You're not some guy sitting in a, you know, in a room in his house. You have actual customers. You have actual people who get money for writing this stuff. Okay. I have an excuse. You guys don't come on, edit your stuff so that we can actually read these things and not stumble like we're half drunk. All right. So let's, I'm going to try to, to fix this. The exchange said, adding that it is also working on support. I can't. I just, I'm stumbling all over that working on to add. This is weird. All right. We'll try again. Coinbase Wallet already supports Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, and over 100,000 different ERC-20 and ERC-721 collectibles built on Ethereum, the exchange said. Adding that it is also working on ad support for Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, and other major cryptos to its wallet going forward. Coinbase explained that with the main Coinbase app or Coinbase.com, users can buy cryptocurrencies and the exchange itself stores the keys centrally. But with Coinbase Wallet app, users safeguard their own private keys, which are encrypted using secure enclave technology for better security. The app supports both SegWit and legacy Bitcoin addresses for backwards compatibility. Coinbase continues to add new and expanded services. Just yesterday, the exchange announced that its customers in the 32 EU and European Free Trade Association countries can now make withdrawals into their PayPal accounts. The feature has been live in the U.S. for some time. Last month, Coinbase added support for cross-border wire transfers for institutional clients in Asia, the U.K., and Europe. And it integrated with tax filing platform TurboTax offered by Intuit Consumer Tax Group to help U.S. clients file taxes on their cryptos. And that's going to do it for, for, for this one. Um, you know, what to say about that? You know, how long, you know, I mean... Really? A hundred thousand different ERC twenty tokens and you guys can't add freaking Bitcoin. It took you this long. I don't know, man. I guess Brian really is a one hundred percent ETH head. Uh, it's the only way that I can I can think of this. But the whole thing about PayPal, ugh, it's like it's like Coinbase is morphing more and more and more into everything that we were trying to get out of. And I guess, I guess that's what happens when you get, you know, when you get a shit ton of money and you don't have to worry about whether or not something is going to collapse and you don't have to worry about the underlying evil that, that charges this crap. You know, I'm talking about inflation and, and, you know, unending wars, which is one of the reasons why Western company or countries uh, handle money the way they handle money. Let's just say that. And it just looks like Coinbase is just getting closer and closer to every single thing that we were trying to run away from. So use Coinbase at your own risk. Use Coinbase uh, at your own ethical and moral uh, culpability. Let's just say that. And that's going to do it for your daily trade wreck. 
Terrible Joke Corner is brought to you again by Bad Joke Cat at Bad Joke Cat on Twitter. Um, it's kind of sad. The account hasn't been active since, I don't, it looks like it hasn't been active since 2014. Um, but it's got a, a very, very, very serious collection of terrible jokes. I, I love them. So I'm going to uh, deplete the living crap out of this before I have to move on for other bad jokes. So let's start. To whoever invented the zero, thanks for nothing. Uh, That's a good one. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm out. I'm going to edit this thing down and get it uploaded as fast as I can. Um, It's going to be interesting over the next few days to see how Quadriga rolls out. Um, We'll be keeping tabs on on the torch through Torchlight and um, and all the other really cool stuff that's happening in the space. And And every time all the cool stuff happens, you can be just bet your bottom dollar that the price of Bitcoin falls. I I, I wish I wish I could say that I love it. I, I don't love it, but it is interesting every single time that something really kick ass occurs, you can bet your bottom dollar that the price of Bitcoin is gonna fall. And I you know, I don't get it. The fundamentals are have never been stronger ever. And they keep getting stronger and keep getting stronger and keep getting stronger. And at one point or another, uh, the bear market's gonna end. And it's not going to go to zero like the newest. Oh, I should have. I should have probably put that in there. Uh, the newest Noriel Rabini is has made his way into crypto Twitter and uh, or not crypto Twitter, but um, he's. I can't remember the dude's name. He's some famous cryptographer. Has I have never heard of him before until yesterday, and apparently it got tweeted all over the place that uh, this dude had written an article or something. Um, I read a little bit of it, uh, kind of got a little nauseous and, um, realized that he's just the next batter up in the cage. So swing batter. Anyway, I'll see you guys on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.